welcome to the Skeptic Wire. start off with an awkward silence <laughs> yay we're, we're all kind of brain dead this week um greg is still processing the that last one <laughs> uh, the thing we said right before i don't know if you're going to keep that or not greg is editing these next uh, couple of weeks so last week and this week and do you even want people to know that you can cut this out if you like <laughs> <laughs> So I'm just going to start with you can cut this out if you like. Okay. The end. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> Every time. No, so I'm we, just. So we said the hello again. I'm just completely and utterly brain dead because I've been working on this one program all week trying to figure out why it's broken and I don't have a starting point, except for the fact that it has something to do with document number six six six. Awesome. <gasps> I shit you oh not. Oh my god, that is totally awesome. So for some reason, document number 666 cannot be... Found? Uh, processed? Processed to its next step. It, 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 you, you say, you know, go ahead and process this. And says, okay, I processed it. You save it. It goes back to, I haven't processed this yet. So, so quite frankly, you're in a processing hell. Yeah, it's some kind of weird... Um... I bet that that's on purpose by the programmers. Then when you get to document six six six, you have to go beyond. It puts it into an infernal loop. Infernal loop. it is. It is some kind of weird Groundhog Day esque, just kind of keeps going back and starting over again situation. Can you change the document number? No, because apparently there are a couple other documents that have since been found out are also having the same problem. Are they beyond the number six six six? Yes. One of them is, I think. Damn, I was hoping they'd just lead up to 666. Yeah. Well, it also makes sense that everything beyond 666 would... Suck. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, you have to get that one through. Yes. Well, I, f- I feel for you. So... Hilariously. <laughs> yes, I just... I have not had resources to, deve- to devote to lots of other stuff, like, you know, lightning round. Oh, Lightning thought... round! Okay. Sorry, I'm, I'm a little bit out of it, too. I've been working on programming and writing. You know, this is just a big, big excuse for... I work for on programming for money. You work on programming for... I pay to you work pay on to programming. programming. Yeah. Which will hopefully lead to a... God, your, your dog has red glowing eyes. <laughs> it's a hellhound. Yes, you are. You're a hellhound, aren't you? Harpo? Yes, Who's you are. Hound? Name is Dog. I'm convinced See, that Harpo me. is part gorilla, because those are the noises she makes. Have you tried giving her? Uh, have you tried giving her um, grapes versus? No, grapes bad for dogs. Oh. Very very bad for dogs. Well then she's on name. She likes baby carrots. <laughs> you, you, you won't know if she's an actual dog until her kidneys fail. That is not an experiment I'm going to run. That's good. <laughs> so, I may be a soulless infidel, but I am not that that evil. 
Okay. So, it is the 17th of April, 2013, episode 106 of The Skeptic Wire. Welcome. <laughs> I'm your host, Kerry Lon, and with me this week, in case you didn't know, are Greg Perrine. Fucking giant programming 666 crap. Gah! That was my Donna impersonation. And Fuck Greg- you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was going to introduce you, but I'll just uh, introduce Greg Bryan again. <laughs> Come on. Oh, and fuck do, you too. Do, do a Greg impersonation then. I can't. That would require me to go into the bathroom for a really long time. <laughs> I don't even I, get the insult. I, I don't, but... <laughs> Boy, know, she burned sure. you, Greg. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I thought we'd just start over. It is the 17th of April, 2013, episode 106 of The Skeptic Wire. With me this week are Donna Swafford. Are, are you going through puberty again? Because your voice keeps cracking. And I could have sworn Maybe. we've done this before. Have we? Yeah. I mean, it's Groundhog's Day. Day. Yeah. Aren't you having a problem with Didn't the program? You... <laughs> so, it's 17 April. 17 April, 2013, <laughs> episode 106 of The Skeptic Bar. So, um, do we have a birthday? Yes! <laughs> yes, we do! Because <laughs> Greg was, was too busy this week to do birthdays, and that's fine, because I was too busy to actually you know do anything else. So I did a birthday this week. It was good. I made cake. And then uh, danced around in my underwear with a beer in my hand. That's what I do on birthdays. So. Just a little, just a little <laughs> bit more than we needed to know. Oh, and I and I I smear uh, that that uh, stuff. What is that stuff? Vaseline. Icing. Oh. What Vaseline? <laughs> no. <laughs> Icing. Frosting. Icing. Yeah, frosting all over me too. Yeah. Is that why your dogs love you so much? Dogs no, that's peanut butter. Yeah. All right. I believe that one. Who then was born on this date, 1866? Former CNN anchor Andrea Thompson. (laughs) Really? Could be, but no. Not 18. 1866? 1866. Houdini. No. Although I wish it was. Uh, He is a spring baby, though. Yeah, this person is a physiologist very very famous or more obscure ah, more obscure okay there, there are only really about two people born today uh, if, if we were doing it for yesterday uh, we, we could have got one of the uh, discoverers of DNA but I think we've done him before oh, we did him real good <laughs> uh, what what physiology type stuff did this person discover? Work with. Um, he worked with the heart and the digestive system. Now remember, this is 1866, so it's all fairly. So it's not fairly the, new. not the person who invented the artificial heart. No, no, this is way, be before that, way before that. This is actually yeah. figuring out the workings of the interior of the body. But you're probably not going to get it, so I'll just. I, say. I don't know a lot of medical history, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it's a guy named Ernest Starling. He's a. a uh, English physiologist working mainly at the University College London. So he's a foreigner. He's, he's a foreigner. A damn foreigner. That's right. This is America. Yeah. So not not from America. 
he he is most famous apparently for developing the quote Frank Starling law of the heart. Oh, which actually has to do with the size of the heart as it's pumping blood. And as more blood goes in, the heart will actually uh, increase in size. And how is that related to penis size? Uh, I guess more blood. Yeah. More better. More penis. <laughs> All right. More Makes blood, sense. more better. He uh, has a Starling equation which describes fluid shifts in the body. He is he discovered peristalsis with his in-law his brother-in-law peristalsis is the swallowing motion yeah pretty much it's kind of like like how an earthworm moves a wave of muscle movement a wave of muscle movement yeah Yeah. he discovered uh, secretin it controls the environment in the duodenum by regulating secretions of the stomach and pancreas and regulates water homeostasis throughout the body you made that up yep just rolled right off the tongue (laughs) didn't it he also discovered the distal convoluted tubule of the kidney that it reabsorbs water and various electrolytes. So, anyway, the interesting thing, I thought, other than these, these All things, these wonderful medical discoveries that help us understand how the body works. And, exactly. Yeah. Is there was a thing called the brown dog affair. Oh. And I'm not going to go into details about why it happened. Basically, it was having to do with vivisection. Starling and his partner, William Bayless, who I think is his brother-in-law, they were doing a live showing of surgery on a dog. Uh, basically, they broke the law and used the dog twice in, a, in like a, a month period. And so there were some anti-vivisectionists in the audience who passed around that they were very cruel to the dog, and they claimed they weren't. And I won't, again, I'm not going to go into details about what happened you can read it, on, uh, look up Brown Dog Affair on Wikipedia. It goes into details, and it's not very nice. Um, but it's what they had in 1866. Uh, sorry, it would have to be after 1866. Because that's when he was born? Yeah, 1903 <laughs> to 1910. So there, were, there was a lot of back and forth on how often they're using the same subjects. And yeah, well, how they, cruel they, they, they knew being. that they weren't allowed to use the same subject more than once, because obviously that causes problems with the mental state of the... Uh, animal under question. Uh, so what happened was there were riots in the street because of this. The anti-vivisectionists put up a statue in honor of this uh, mutt, this brown dog, and it's the statue of the brown dog. And it was erected in 1906 and then destroyed in 1910. And the the kids from the college... Was, ro- was the statue destroyed on... Purpose, it was or... it was taken down quietly. A lot of the students they would deface it, and they they did try to destroy it. They tried to throw it into the Thames. So the city had to pay to have it under twenty four hour surveillance <laughs> by the cops. But what happened was a thousand students and friends of the students who were pro vivisection because it was, at that time it's all they had, right? Although I suppose you could do it on a dead animal instead of a live animal. Whatever. So they marched in the streets and they got in a fight with the cops and got in a fight with the vivisectionists, the anti-vivisectionists and the whole thing. So I thought that was rather interesting. Something you don't hear about. But there was an, a Cruelty to Animals Act of 1876 which prompted this whole thing which, which said you couldn't use the same animal twice. Bayless was defamed by Coleridge and he won that defamation suit and apparently that's what happened. So this day in history... Ernest Starling was born, and he lived a long, full life, <laughs> and is obviously not alive today, because his 
he's not a Time Lord. No, not so much. But discovered some good sciencey stuff. Caused a little bit of controversy by pushing that envelope and Absolutely. an actual moral quandary that we're still trying to figure out today of how much we should experiment on animals versus Ex not exactly but uh back then the, the the way that they found that there was a thing called secretin starling and bayless found that there was a thing a hormone they eventually named it a hormone but there was a thing called secretin by severing the, the duodenal and jejunal nerves in an anesthetized dog but left the blood vessels intact. Then introduced acid into the duodenum and jejunum, and they discovered that the process was not mediated by a nervous response, but by a chemical. And so they named that chemical uh, secretin because it was secreted in, apparently. So, I mean, there, there was only only things they could learn from a live animal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because there's if by not looking at a system in context. You can only learn so much. Same with the, the the brain project, which we were talking about. I mean, you have to see it working. Yeah, we know how neurons work, but we don't know how they work necessarily together in as large of a system as the brain. But fortunately, we have the March of Progress and functional MRIs, which means we don't have to cut into people's brains. Exactly. Now. So. Yeah, you probably still have to do a little bit, unfortunately, because we don't have the technology to yeah. to employ. Yeah, but we don't have to take off the entire thing and then start vivisecting, just cutting it into small pieces. So yay! Cool. Yay, progress, Ernest Starling. So uh, we had bad stuff happen this week in the United States. Yeah. Around Boston, and of course, the crazies have come out of the woodwork to. Uh, rattle the cages and try and get some airtime. What we got on them? What do you got, Greg? Um, well, the the first thing I heard is within hours. Of, well, well, we all know what happened in Boston, the Boston Marathon horribleness thing. Two bombs. Our hearts go out to everybody. Two bombs, yes, three dead, a hundred, approximately a hundred and eighty injured. Okay. And within hours of this situation happening, it seems to focus mainly on the InfoWars people, Alex Jones and his cohorts, were talking about how there there was a drill beforehand and why are there bomb-sniffing dogs at the start and finish lines? Isn't that suspicious? At the first press conference, apparently one of the people from InfoWars, not Alex Jones himself, but one of his... Minions. <laughs> Good word. Stood up and asked a question. I don't know how the hell you got press credentials, but that's just my personal bias. It, yeah, it may not have necessarily been probably very impromptu. Yeah, not exactly a closed event. Yeah. But considering that the HuffPo, I think, got a chair at the White House press briefing room, <laughs> it's a little crazy nowadays. Anyway, stood up and asked a question asking if this was a false flag operation. Yeah, which is a stupid thing to ask. Let's define false flag. The idea of it kind of coming from the old sailing days where a French ship who didn't want to be shot down by the English would temporarily fly an English flag so they wouldn't get... You mean they would disguise themselves Some... as something else? Exactly. So the idea that, oh, the Obama administration and the FBI or whoever reptilians and UFOs were involved in this conspiracy created this bomb event in order to get some political agenda to control the populace whatever that wag heck, the dog yeah sort kind of, of situation so it's just it's amazing to me that without any proof whatsoever which doesn't stop these people anyway 
that they jump to these conclusions of it must have been the government the government a conspiracy as opposed to these things do happen from time to time some heartless person decided i want to cause some form of terror at this big public event or just i just want to cause some sort of terror there is a big public event yes. and that's what i'll do not necessarily causing terror they may have been targeting a very specific person or whatever oh, we true. don't know the the yeah, workings like, of i mean there have been people what? who killed 20 people in uh, like driving their car or anything to kill one person the, the, the in tylenol, order to the t- stuff. right but more likely if they if someone was trying to knock off their husband or something then more likely they would have used something a little bit more targeted than an area bomb. I'm just saying, I, playing the percentages. Yeah, uh, I hate to say this, but one would hope. Play, not necessarily. Would, we, right. can, we, we don't really have to get what into all this. What I'm saying is, is that we don't know the psychology of the bomber right, right. now. So we is. shouldn't make any sort of armchair quarterback right. ideas about what his mot- his or her motivation was. Right, but... I'm I'm just playing the statistics here in that statistically it's more likely to be a male because statistically more males use bombs and guns and stuff versus statistically women tend to use poisons more often it's just it's not right women should use more guns whatever <laughs> I don't, I'm a feminist what? and all that but... <laughs> Okay wow moving on but and statistically it's likely that this may have something to do with some either religiously conservative person or politically conservative person. You don't hear of hippies bombing places. The last time I heard of hippies bombing someplace was hippies bombing a Hummer dealership when no one was there because they didn't like Okay, <laughs> in recent history, and it's not a bombing, but it was a potential shooting, the guy who invaded the FRC. Liberal I... hippie right there. I, I agree, but statistically, more often than not, it is people who... But we can't jump to any of these conclusions just because the t- statistics say more than likely it's this. People were looking at the statistics at the whole Oklahoma bombing, at the Olympic City bombing, and saying, well, it's probably someone of Middle Eastern descent or Islamist, uh, ultra-conservative, trying to make some kind of point, where it wasn't. So we don't know, and... All right. We right. can look at the statistics and say, well, possibly it's this, but we can't. And, and you know, we can't say it's a conservative group. We can't say it's a liberal group. We can't say it's religious, non-religious, any of that. But that hasn't stopped the news services from going oh, no, hog wild not. or these conspiracy theorists. Well, the news services are being paid to be there first when they should be there to be – they should be paid to be correct. Because the 24-hour news cycle has – required them to get experts it's hard to say experts in in scare quotes <laughs> uh, yeah it's uh, what they get is people who are good at talking like they know what they're talking about yes uh and spontaneously and yeah. for a, a specific amount of time yeah <laughs> filler is basically what we call it by the way i want to make sure that we have about an hour and 15 minute show today apropos of nothing <laughs> I get it. So Infowars stated that there was a test from what from all indication 
there was no test. Right. The, uh, they talked about drills and stuff like that. Where, right. Yeah, around big events, some agencies are going to run drills yeah. that will happen all the time. And I think that And every were... major city does it on a regular basis as well for mass, mass casualty. You have to be prepared. And there may well have been... Uh, local policemen or anti-terrorist people like on rooftops or whatever, mm -hmm. just in case. But that doesn't mean that there was, I mean, because this is a big deal. There's, uh, God, 24,000 people running just in the event itself. Plus all the spectators. Yeah, it's... so we're talking a couple, you know, upwards of, uh, along the entire course, maybe uh, 500,000 a million people, maybe. Just like at the Reason Rally. There were undercover people there. There were people around just to make sure that things went smoothly. And there's only so much you can do. The amazing thing about these conspiracy theories is it's always about, well, I'm just asking questions. Yeah. But it's not really about asking questions. It's asking questions in order to present Promote, a suspicion. Promote an agenda. Glenn Beck does it. Glenn Beck is perfect at oh, it. Yeah. Right. But I also want to point something out about Alex Jones that just kind of pissed me off today when I heard it. Surprise, surprise. He was posting about the link about how, oh, people must have known that this was coming because of the Family Guy episode, which has now since been removed. Apparently, a couple of weeks ago, a month ago or something, there was an episode where the dad from Family Guy wins by basically running people over in the Boston Marathon. But then later on, in it basically on a, a side arc of the show, he accidentally sets off a bomb using his cell phone has nothing to do with this. The two arcs are completely separate, but some <laughs> asshole edited the piece together so that it looked like it was, Oh look, he did this. And then he blew up the Boston marathon. And so Seth MacFarlane must've known about it. Seth MacFarlane of course came out and was like, whoever did this is a fucking asshole. And I, you know, I would never do this. Fox has since taken the episode down and everything else. This is a direct hurting of a man. This is direct and pointed of taking their a their business product, manipulating it for an agenda. Yeah, it's quite Sorry. mining. If you're Fuck you, Alex Jones. If and... you're going to have someone involved in your conspiracy, Seth MacFarlane? Seriously? <laughs> it's like when we were talking about the, the, um, the Newton shootings, that the conspiracy was that this little girl who was one of the victims was Didn't, still alive and had, yeah. there was a picture with her on Obama's knee as comforting and, you know, a, a press opportunity. Oh, ho, that looks like the, the girl from the elementary school. So they must've slipped up. Really? Wearing the same clothes too. Yeah. It, that someone is <clears throat> that the conspiracy is that stupid that in this case, someone would have said to Seth MacFarlane, a year in advance, because they have to write the frickin' scripts. They have to send it off to Korea for the slave labor to draw the things, bring it back, get it edited, get it presented, and it's been on air for a couple months, or a couple weeks. Why would they do that? That's just an and, argument from ignorance. But it's refuting an argument of ignorance. <clears throat> well, yeah. But it also <laughs> can be used as, you know, further proof of the plot of, well, look at how long it took them to plot it out. And da, 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 yeah. <laughs> You gotta There's wrap no your mind around crazy, and that's the, not always easy to do. The best information we have as of this recording on Wednesday the seventeenth is they recovered pieces of what appears to be a pressure cooker 
of a very yeah. crude bomb that may have had some electronic uh, de- detonation mechanism. electronic detonation and may have had some essentially shrapnel material in it that's yeah. been co- collected from the victims very crude bomb very simple bomb and you see from the pictures on that they've shown on the news that it may it had a devastating effect but it was not a huge c4 explosion no it was a small improvised device that was horrible and caused a lot of terror and a lot of smoke but it was confined to a relatively small area, fortunately. Yeah. It was not a 9-11 level of destruction. It was that it was enough of a level of, of well, it wasn't, it wasn't fear even, and terrorism, yeah. but it was not a su- extremely sophisticated event from what I can see right now. Yeah, it, it wasn't wasn't the Oklahoma bombing. But oh. it was it was bigger than and the Olympic one. Park bombing, yeah. Yeah. So the idea that this was some mass conspiracy to make what happen, it's certain, I mean, this is a bit of my bitterness from this week coming through. It's not like the whole Newton event in Connecticut was particularly successful in dealing with any gun control legislation because that all got shot down today. Uh, Pardon my choice of words. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That was not meant as a joke. It was just extemporaneous talking but it that the idea that these kind of events are done for a sinister purpose by a big new world order conspiracy or something was the illuminati or the reptoids or the aliens or whatever the heck it is all of them good god man if they if they they combined their power we would be doomed doomed i say but but that's exactly my point apparently they have all this power to keep this horrible horrible secret that nobody ever talks about but the effects that the conspiracy theorists are putting on these events as oh this was done to make fear so they could the politicians could do that these things never materialize yeah they're they're connecting dots but all the dots happen to be you know pimples (laughs) pimples <laughs> it, it's like the fact that i have noticed that on my arms my small little moles tend to grow in equilateral triangles <laughs> i can I, I could take a sharpie and through several of the the moles on my arm i could draw equilateral triangles it's just a coincidence no no that's no, that's alien takeover right there <laughs> punchy <laughs> but, I, I think we need to leave are they are they blue triangles if I use a blue pen, yes. I'm out of here. I'm out. Yeah. Uh, you obviously haven't read Scott Sigler's Contagious. No, apparently I have not. I'm scared. Uh. <laughs> alien spores, man. They're going to come out come out of you like alien. So speaking of aliens, ah. and reptoids, ah. and the Illuminati, and the New World Order, and the Antichrist, and all that kind of stuff, it's always interesting with these conspiracy theories that even coming from the same place like Alex Jones and all his Infowars stuff, there's a whole lot of contradictory conspiracy theories coming through. Of course. Like the 9-11 thing, some people said that they were holographic airplanes, it was actually missiles, or there were no planes in the first place, or... Or there were drone planes. Yeah, the, the towers didn't fall at all they were never there in the first place or whatever just crazy conspiracies <laughs> the towers actually moved five blocks west so that the planes <laughs> could hit them and transformed into Sorry. like a, a gap into a box yes of a different shape but it the, there's just gap. 
there's not a lot of thought about the contradictions that the conspiracy theorists present. Yeah. It's just a very surface level amount of thinking of, well, I'm just asking questions, but they don't go beyond the first questions. No, of course not. That's and are just evil, answer. sick people who... <sighs> they're slightly deluded. Yeah. I won't say yeah. they're stupid. They're just um, not thinking right. Yeah. Speaking of not thinking right, ah, another thing you have, another group that was blamed for the Boston bombing, not by Infowars but by other people on like Twitter and Facebook, Muslims and the Godless and the Godless. Apparently, uh-huh. it must have been Godless people. Fortunately, Muslims are Godless as well. So, yeah, it's the wrong God, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, there was a yeah. A, yeah, we're gonna get that. Yeah, that's right. I'm totally going down that one. Ah, boy. (laughs) Well, I I do think that the one of the good skeptical things is that somebody went out and bought the website bostonmarathonconspiracy.com to keep people like Alex Jones from buying it and using it for nefarious purposes. Monetary purposes. Well, money is the root of all evil and nefarious is wicked evil so yeah i don't agree with that that's a biblical saying i know (laughs) just working it in but actually right now it just is a splash page that says please keep the victims of this event and their families in your thoughts thank you i think it's a really great thing yeah so go vote it up on what yes a web of trust recommendation i think i already did yes the conspiracy theorists abound as we knew they would they just came out quickly Yay, our instant technology. But then we also had a couple of news organizations getting the story completely wrong. Oh, just horribly, horribly Uh, wrong. For example, right before I came over here, I think people were posting that a person was in custody. Yeah, from uh, from what I could tell, having looked at the news on TVs while at work, that apparently mid-afternoon, maybe around one thirty, two o'clock, I guess Eastern Time, CNN was having breaking news that um, an arrest was made in the bombings case and that it was an unnamed brown-skinned person or something kind of that. <laughs> and they, it seemed to hit a lot of echo chamber stuff of, you know, yes, sources have said that, oh, oh yeah, and I have a source too at the FBI or something like that. And it just kind of kept getting amplified and amplified. Yeah. And then it, uh, there's an interesting post over at BuzzFeed.com by Dorsey Shaw that shows kind of with a, some snarky head desks in it as well, the progression of how it went from a little bit of, I, we think there's an arrest to there's been an arrest to there's been an arrest of a brown-skinned person identified on a video to, well, we're hearing conflicting reports of to an hour later of, oops, we got it wrong. Con- or, Actually, yeah. oops, we did it again. Yes. Okay, blame me about making a Bible verse, but you just quoted Britney Spears. Which is worse. I'm not sure. <laughs> Britney Spears isn't isn't telling people to go out and do bad things. Britney Spears and the Bible, both the cause of much pain, death, and suffering in the world. Maybe about... Britney a little bit more. <laughs> death and suffering? Yes. Uh, maybe suffering of the groinal region for certain evangelicals, but 
I'm not sure that she's caused death well, and destruction. I've, I've heard on CNN and Infowars that Britney Spears <laughs> was the cause of 9/11. In in a way, she she might she may have been. And the she was the second West. gun person on the grassy knoll. She's also a reptilian. Well, we knew that. <laughs> Tell us something we don't know. We found that out by the you know accidental pictures of her when she was getting out of that car and you saw up her dress. That you kept looking at and looking at and looking. He was looking for the reptilian eye. <laughs> Reptiles don't have eyes in their cloaca. Everybody knows that, Gary. You were looking at her cloaca. I'm confused. How do you know she wasn't controlled by a, like a million little tiny lizards? Never mind. Let's just move on because this is just going down. The unfortunate part of someone like CNN fucking up this badly, and I will use that strong language because they fucked up. So when the bombing happened on Monday, I started to see some postings on Facebook and I thought, huh, something's going on. I better go check CNN because I'm not going to go look on the Daily Mail or the Inquirer or something like that. Fox. Although or for Fo- bad stuff, Fox is usually pretty good about posting bad stuff immediately. Finding out whether or not something happened or not, right. even then I would say, yeah, I could trust Fox because they can't ignore the fact that there was a, bom- a yeah. bombing. Yeah. So I don't blame them for that. But to find out whether something happened or not, did Michael Jackson die or not? It's what I always go back to. Of <laughs> There's always reports of, oh, Michael Jackson's dead. Well, you know, you go to reputable news sources to say, is this really true? Unfortunately, we CNN dropped the ball. Yeah, we need they should be held to a higher standard because they're supposed to be someone we can rely on for facts. Yeah, news is in the name. It's not just Fox News. It's it's cable news network. It's an entire network of news. Why I made the statement at the beginning of this: it shouldn't be a race to see who has the first information. It should be the race to see who has the correct information. Yeah. But who cares about that with the 24-hour news cycle? First is best. As evidenced by by every comment thread you ever see on the web where someone has to type in first. Big big rock is better than small rock. Big rock is best. You guys don't keep up with your Saturday morning breakfast cereal, do you? I do. I'm just not agreeing with you. Well, you should. Big rock is best rock. Now we have a serious debate. (laughs) Why do you think small rock is better than big rock? I'm not necessarily saying that small rock is better. I'm saying that big rock is not best because there are certain situations where a big rock, like say you want to hit somebody in the head with a rock, big rock is really hard to pick up and hit somebody in the head with. But a little rock, you can chunk it at them. So more of a David and Goliath argument going from No, I'm saying right tool for the job. Okay. Right rock. A 30-second rebuttal from Gary. Biggest rock is best rock. Donna? I've made my argument. You failed to address anything that I stated, so... Biggest God is best God! Would you care to add to that? Biggest rock is best rock? Okay. (laughs) I would like to have a judge's ruling here. Harpo? Who do you love, Harpo? Loudest assertion (laughs) is best assertion! What do you think, Harpo? (laughs) Who won? Rana won! Okay. What?! (laughs) Thank you, Harpo. That is so lame. Good girl. Dumbest dog. You too, Harpo. <laughs> oh, them's fighting words. It's best dog? <laughs> All right, moving on. Do we have yeah. anything else? 
not so much on the Boston thing. We're going to yeah. find out more, and unfortunately, we're going to have more internet crap from the crazies. Yeah, the, the one fortunate thing is there were a lot of cameras uh, at a, uh, public yeah. and private, or surveillance and uh, privately owned, and so chances are someone's got a picture of of it. Yeah, it, it does make getting away with stuff like this and also building conspiracy theories a little harder. harder than, say, they were for the JFK, where we have one film and everything is based on that one... The Zapruder film. It's Zapruder film, the one that is not quite so sexually active. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's getting cut. <laughs> oh, that's probably going on the end. <laughs> Yeah, but you're not the one who's editing it. So I know. No, I'm just going to put together a five-minute clip of you going, <laughs> kind of like that box from of the Joker head in the yeah. Michael Keaton Batman film. Yeah, I forgot about that. I was I was thinking more of the the laughing clown in Blade Runner. <laughs> Donna, obscure laughing reference from you. How is that obscure? I was agreeing with him. So I don't have an obscure laughing reference, sorry. Well, so much for you winning that uh, Big Rock, Small Rock debate. <laughs> Gary, you won. Yay! <laughs> wow. I'll teach you not to agree with me. I just said I don't have an obscure laughing reference. reference. You could have gone with that, but no, you had to agree with Gary. Well, listen, I thought Gary's was a nice obscure laughing reference. I don't think it was obscure. How is it obscure? It's, it's more cause... obscure than that because that really? one was newer. The Joker one was newer than the other one, and nobody ever paid attention yeah, to the Yeah, they're both in. like 20, 30 years ago, so most of our nope. listeners are young whippersnappers. Nobody, nobody ever paid attention to the laughing clown. And... I thought it was creepy. That's not under debate. Okay. All You're laughing clowns the... are creepy. Oh, that's true. All clowns are creepy. Whether they're laughing or they're sad, they're just creepy. Yeah, even sexy clowns. Okay, we're going back to Donna having won the Big Rock, Small Rock debate. All right, moving on. So, Donna. Yes. What do you, what do you have, anthropologically speaking, this week? Well, a few years ago, it was announced that they had discovered a new proto-human, a new human ancestor called Australopithecus sediba. And the anthropology world has, like, literally been waiting for bated breath for these papers to come out. This is a huge huge this fun. is like five or ten years old isn't it I mean, yeah like, but the papers, right, the papers are, are just coming out right is but it the, the kind the, of thing where like certain people who discovered it got a, a monopoly time yes. with the bones and that's yes. why it's been waiting and they wanted to make sure that they did the right thing on like cnn and so a little background history is that there is a place called the malapa cave and it is in southern africa and this area of Southern Africa has had a lot of anthropological finds, a lot of early hominins found in that area. Part of it is, is that there were three individuals found very well preserved that they were able to basically, for lack of a better word here, mix and match and come up with a complete skeleton. I, I think I remember seeing somewhere that it really helped that they weren't a mix of different ages and sizes. They were all about the same sized specimen. Right. There was a male, a female, a juvenile, as well as several infants, which are not really talked about in the papers very much, but they were also found. How they got in the cave, 
Nobody knows. I mean, there's suspicions of fleeing, fleeing, intentional burial sort of thing. There's been a lot of theories floated, but can't really tell. I I think they were trapped in a timeshare presentation. (laughs) That is entirely possible. Or waiting for the keys to their car while trying to buy a new one. I thought you were going to say it's kind of a valet parking kind of thing. No. Yours is better. Okay. You go back to winning the Big Rock, Small Rock debate. (laughs) This find is absolutely huge because I will cut to the chase and, and we can discuss the details. What's happened is this truly is a transitional fossil. Which causes two more gaps in the fossil history, huh, Donna? Yeah, but... Are you saying biggest find is best find? Derail. <laughs> the quote from Dr. Reuter, of, uh, he is a anthropology professor at Texas A&M, is, Everywhere we look in these skeletons, from jaw down to feet, we see transition from Australopithecus to Homo. Everywhere we see evidence of evolution. This really is a huge find because the skeletons have very distinctive features that are going back to apes as well as seeing features that we didn't see in other australopithecines that are leading into Homo erectus, Homo habilis, Homo rudolfensis. Is this, I've heard that there's a slight debate over the out of Africa theory. Yes. So is this putting more weight on the out of Africa theory? Probably. (laughs) Okay. The debate is, is that also that Homo erectus emerged as Homo ergaster in Asia. And so you had a convergence in, into Europe. So it wasn't just out of Africa. It was out of Africa and out of Asia. What they're saying about Sediba is, is that you can see traits in Sediba that you don't see in Australopithecus afarensis, the Lucy skeleton. You see these traits coming into being in Homo erectus, Homo habilis. Now, these are also traits like with the teeth. There's no reason for teeth to change. There's very, very little reason for teeth to change. When you see the trait in Sediba, and then you see it in Erectus, you can go, okay, we're seeing a progression, but when you don't see it in Afarensis, so what they're saying is, is that Afarensis, where we've always gone, oh, it went to Afarensis, to Habilis, to Erectus, into anatomically modern human, what they're saying is, we think we got that wrong. (laughs) I think now it's Sediba, who either came from Africanus, which is another Australopithecine, into Sediba, into Homo habilis, or the other way around. Because when they talk about Australopithecus africanus and Sediba, their timelines don't overlap, but they're relatively close. Australopithecus afarensis, the Lucy skeleton, is 3.2 to 3.4 million years old. Australopithecus Sediba is 1.97. Now, its closest Australopithecine, I guess I want to say cousin or sister, Africanus, is older than Sediba, I believe, but it is by hundreds of thousands of years, not millions. There is a there is a much closer gap between the two of them temporally and geographically, as opposed to Afarensis, which actually was found in central northern Africa as opposed to the southerns. So what? So it's, there's <laughs> likelihood that these two are actually closer related than Afarensis, which is where we'd always gone from. We'd always gone from afarensis to homo habilis those experts are kind of going taking a step back and going whoa wait a minute we're seeing these things that link to apes and we see these things that link to homo 
in this one fossil that we're not seeing in Australopithecus afarensis, the Lucy skeleton. Because this skeleton is, okay, I'm going to be really crude here. This thing, give me an anthropological heart on. Okay. <laughs> so some of the interesting things about this specimen from the articles that I read seem to be things like, we know it's more transitional because things like the arms and shoulder are more arboreal, so that's closer to the more primitive ape-like specimens, but the legs and spine are closer to Homo in that they're now the same number of vertebrae as Homo as opposed to different, but it's still different in that it's more flexible like an right. arboreal spine, but the legs show more adaptiveness for walking, but not perfect walking. So it does show that kind of like the Tiktaalik fossil that's found many years ago showed a transition between fish and land amphibians where you saw they had some traits of the fusion of the neck that fish have, but started to see some differences in limb development that land animals had. Those combinations of things are, make it really exciting as a true transitional fossil. Not that everything isn't transitional, but a, a great example of, oh, it's not half and half, but it shows elements of both and how things changed and gives a better idea of the where there might have been a straight line in evolution and development between right. us and them. In addition, one of the, the interesting pieces is the thorax, the chest area. It's a very narrow, it's, it's conical. So it's very narrow at the top and it's very wide at the bottom. It's very much a human chest at the bottom and very much an ape chest at the top. That alone just is like fascinating because... So it's the, the primate version of a mermaid. Wait, it's yes. wide at the bottom and narrow at the top? Yeah. Sounds like a, a dinosaur. <laughs> With tiny little arms. Some of the other stuff that is just absolutely interesting about these skeletons, between the three specimens, they've basically been able to have a complete skeletal system. Or enough from one side that they could copy on the other. Right. And maybe the humerus is just has the top third and the bottom third. But analyzing a stuff from present apes and humans, we can figure out, oh, it probably was this length as opposed to that length. Right. It's not very easy for the listeners to see how I'm holding my hands of, a, I caught a fish this big versus I caught a fish this big. But it all makes sense somehow. In addition, it also has proof of kind of their diet because they were able to find microscopic plant material embedded in the tartar in their teeth. This is leading them to believe that they were basically vegetarian. They weren't on the paleo diet? No, they were not on the paleo diet. Hmm. Their fingers were long and skinny, but they were capable of making and using tools. They were more human-like than ape-like. There is so much stuff, and I haven't been able to read the actual papers yet. Can't wait. <laughs> Well, a lot of them are being published, I think, in Science yeah. magazine. It wasn't available online. You have to go and get it, get a physical copy. How primitive. Probably next month. But it's also, these skeletons are also raising questions of, like, why are these arboreal skeletal features, the, the shoulders, the arm length, this conical chest, so prominent in Sediba and basically gone in Homo habilis? What happened to change so massively? I mean, it's a huge, massive change. Just stopped going to the gym, I think. I do want to point out that ABC and BBC articles on this 
were poorly written. Really? Yes. I, I am surprised at the BBC's having poorly written. Well, ABC the, not so much. The BBC, they make all of this conjecture about how and why these fossils were in the cave. Ah. And I was all like, let's focus on what we know rather than conjecture. It's once again back to the reporting of, oh, look, it was a brown skin. It's right back to it. We can assume some things, like you said, from little pieces of grain that we find in between the teeth. We can say, oh, they definitely ate this, but maybe occasionally they snacked on some, some meat, but it wasn't the focus of their diet because mostly it's this other stuff. We can conjecture, but we can't make these kind of conclusions. Let's leave that to the scientists who are looking right. at the evidence. They could have been chased into it by sentient maze. Or they could have been at the drive-in and gotten that big hunk of steak on top of their oh, yeah, good their point. car yeah. and it fell over. The dino burger. Yes. ABC, though, just had so many things wrong in their article. So it wasn't just speculation. There were things that they said that were factually wrong. Yes. Because like they said, scientists are saying that Australopithecus sediba might be related to Australopithecus africanus, the Lucy skeleton. No, that's factually wrong. <laughs> so tell us what is correct. Lucy belongs to Australopithecus afarensis. She does not belong to Australopithecus africanus. They are temporally and geographically separate. By about two million years. <laughs> and several thousand miles. But did the Kessel run in less um, than ten parsecs? In addition, <laughs> they basically said that Lucy was the only proto-human found in North Africa. Okay, thank you for shaking your head. Yeah, we've been finding lots of stuff. I mean, maybe not quite as complete as Lucy was, but we find especially teeth all the time. Right. In addition, in like in Central Eastern Africa, where Lucy was found, because I would not qualify it as, as Northern Africa. I would really qualify it as Eastern Central. You have Olduvai Gorge in there, which has footprints. It has teeth. It's had Ascalius and Olduwan tools. It has so much information. They may not be direct skeletal information, in addition, you got Homo erectus, Homo habilis, are all found throughout that area. Guess what? Not the only one. Bad ABC. Bad. <laughs> it shows a real problem in all these news agencies in firing science people, in that they don't have science departments where people are trained to look up our, what is the actual Latin-y term for this species that Lucy was, as opposed to just Googling and using the first thing you find. Right. So I have a question. Did she wear a bra? No. They, they say they didn't find a bra. So no. she must have had a nice, perky bosom. Right? Well, I'm why to... do you say that, Gary? Well, because there was an article, a study released by a French guy, of all people, who studied boobies. Professor said... Jean-Louis Rouillon. Yeah. And he said that not wearing a bra makes the boobs perkier. Based on... 330 subjects over, what, a 10-year period? Something like that. I, I can't speak about such things as I don't know anything about a bras. Uh, well, I know some about bras. You know where they How unhook. to unhook them does not count if knowing much about bras. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm aware of the structural 
enhancement that, that they do. I'm aware that there are different styles of bras for different occasions. The professor, what was his name? Uh, Rouleon. Rouleon. He said that the uh, nipple will migrate up the boob at 7 millimeters per year. Well, I don't think okay. it's the nipple migrates. It's the... <laughs> That, that, boob. The, that would the be boob. really odd after about, oh, say, 20 years. Yes, that you're gonna, your, nipple your nipples on, on your shoulders. <laughs> that's what I thought. But no, that's no, no. the way the article said. I think they were saying that without the artificial support of a brazier, that the breast's supportive tissue would kick well, in. Voluminize. Or would, would work to raise up the breasts or keep them from falling. Okay. As opposed to nipples migrating willy-nilly. <laughs> right. Okay. See, that's I got I got a little confused there, I must admit. Has he never seen a National Geographic? Cuz there's a whole slew of people who don't wear bras and they seem to not have the perkiness <laughs> of the perkiest breasts in the world. When I first read this, I think it really depends on the natural chest size of the person. Yeah, I if, think genetics and nutrition have a lot to do with it. Okay. I was just thinking general size, because maybe the smaller cup sizes yeah, maybe don't need a bra all the time. Not yeah. just kind of flat-chested or whatever, but an A, a B, or something like that. Yeah, maybe doesn't need it all the time. Maybe just for jogging. But Donna's totally staying out of this conversation. No, she's just... <laughs> no, she's not staying out. Of the conversation, she's just waiting to jump in and pounce. Okay, so I'm, that's why I'm keeping talking so she doesn't. Okay, well, what, <laughs> jump on it. I'm, I'm just gonna say that I don't. I I don't understand how you could think that someone with a particularly large chest would not benefit because it, I I know plenty of women who have large chests and they definitely need the brazier and also they get reduction surgery so that their backs don't hurt. So Donna, tell me how exactly I am completely unendedly wrong, which I probably am. Okay, as a large-breasted woman, I don't wear my bra 24-7. I'm not one of those women. I go to bed, I take this shit off, because these things are uncomfortable. I, I agree. They're confining. The, and, the, wait, wait. And the, tight. Wait, wait. Which, these things. The, the bras. Oh, the bras. Okay. Bras are she no does not remove her breasts at night and put them in a little glass by the bedside table. I know, but it could have been that the breasts themselves were uncomfortable and the bra just makes them doubly more so. Donna, rebuttal. Uh, no, I was just saying that, that or, that's the way it kind of sounds. Or should I phrase that, rebooble? Let's call him <sighs> Michael Buble. <laughs> Donna, respond. I don't think she, she I don't think she wants to, yes. Well, okay, here's a quote from one of the women that was in the study, and she apparently had been braless for two years, and she said that she breathes more easily, she carries herself better, and she has less back pain since going braless. Now, it seems to me that you could buy a proper size bra, right. which I understand is a problem. Is Most women, women, most women do not wear the proper size. Right. And, and you can could... go to Victoria's Secret or... Any number of lingerie stars and be fitted for the correct size. Because okay. some people are trying to accommodate societal norm we, of a, a weird cup size by having a bigger band size, band size, or vice versa, and it just the mix and match 
that they started with and they just kept going with because, oh, well, I guess it fits and it's just the way it has to be. Right. And I will tell you that actually going to Victoria's Secret and being professionally fitted was probably one of the best decisions that I ever made. I now go back to that store and if I have to buy a, a new line of bras, ones that I'm not familiar with, I have them make sure that the fit is correct. After, so I presume that in your early life you had ill-fitting bras. Yes. And, and then you eventually got measured. I learned to, to pay for the service and I will tell you it is a service that has. You have to pay been, to be fitted? Not usually, but you're you're going to more expensive stores. Oh, yeah. You're not buying the cheapo Walmart. I wasn't going to say a specific company, but really, so generic I, Acme I, bra. If I learned how to size bras, I could just hang out in Walmart and have like a little. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Federal size. boob inspectors. <laughs> yeah. Not but yeah, I think that a lot of the women probably in this study have been wearing ill-fitting bras and when you wear an ill-fitted bra and you take it off you do feel a lot better that's one of the questions i had about this because it doesn't say whether or not they were properly fitted before. it also doesn't say what size of women yeah. were yeah, involved in the study yeah we only had 330 women involved and granted they were from 18 to 35 age which is not the biggest range of age, but it's it, they didn't have a big range of ethnicities from what I can tell. They, they said themselves that it's very preliminary because it was a small group and not a very diverse sample. So lots of different women from different ethnicities have different issues going on there. In addition to the bra fitting thing, I would think that if someone had decided to not use a brassiere anymore... They're a little bit more conscious of their posture, having to compensate for having worn a bra before. So they make sure that they're sitting straight as opposed to just bending over. Well, hunching how they I, normally I would, I would would. imagine that if, if you went braless and you have decent, you know, uh, ample size, ample boobage. size, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want, yeah, because I didn't want to use the word decent because that's, that, that has a, a value judgment, but ample is good. Um, and if you, would hunch over i would imagine that eventually like like running a marathon you'll eventually rub the nipples and it'll probably hurt after a while i will tell you that running without a bra is very uncomfortable whether you are small breasted or large a a good sports bra is a powerful investment i've been at a gym and have irritation on nipples from just yeah. My small man boobs. The proper equipment in when you're exercising a a bra or a non abrasive shirt that is wicking and and all that kind of stuff. Well, we want to get into religion. Wicking as in wicks the sweat oh, sweat away okay. from you not and wicking. is not not abrasive and is not just cotton. Okay. These stories always kind of capture a lot of headlines, and of course we we have to snark on it. We snarked because we got to talk about boobs. Yeah. Does this qualify as <laughs> Primate sexy time? Mm, kind of. Well, you know we what We talked was... about primates, and then we talked about breasts. And breasts are often associated with sexy time, even though not technically a sexual organ. Well, you know, you were, and I can't remember which one of you said it, about the slunching over and, you know, having to compensate with better posture because you're not both wearing a bra. Us. Yeah, it was kind of a combination of both our statements. Well, so I mean, apparently you're back... conflating Gary and I now into one merged individual with smarts I'm, and hair 
15 years ago when the Wonder Bra came out, I, that thing was like every woman had to buy one because it made the boobs just like, ta-da, I am here. It's not just how you stand. It is presentation. Lift and separate. Yes. Uh, but uh, Wonder Bra, not so much. When, uh, Wonder Bra is, is lift and push a little Smoosh. bit together. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm, I'm familiar with the uh, with what? the wiles of the bra. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So what I'm saying is is that I, I think the whole study is a bunch of mm, bunkum. I think that it has numerous flaws, and that's really all I have to say about it. It's, it's hard to tell from the articles that I was able to find on it, because it's not that I was looking constantly at all hours of the night <laughs> for articles on braziers. Yeah, especially when you could go and see non-braziered people. Right. But there wasn't a lot of details about Yeah, the... but usually you have to pay three ninety five a minute for that. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you really don't. That's only to talk to him. <laughs> you want to talk to the boobs. You... Sorry, what were you saying? There wasn't a lot of detail in the articles about how the study was conducted. I mean, did they have control? I, mean, I, I assume they had control groups because some of them women were not wearing brassieres, but was there, you know, so I guess they compared them that way. They had calipers. Yeah. yeah and yeah. And, and these are 330 women that they, I assume, I assume tracked over 10 years as opposed right. to spending. So you got 330 women. Let's assume over 10 years. Were they spending a month with each woman just staring at her breasts saying, okay, do, do they raise seven millimeters when they're not wearing the, the brassiere? And even they admitted that this is just kind of a preliminary. It's the first. He was very proud of it, Mr. Rulion, about the fact that this was the first attempt at studying the medical benefits versus detractions sure. of a brassiere, which... Some people will snark with, what are you doing spending money on studying breasts and brassieres? I think a woman would like to know whether the yeah. brassiere is a good thing or a bad thing. Considering how much money has been spent over the years of just studying male anatomy and assuming that the same thing applied to female anatomy, <laughs> I think it's good that we spend money on women's health, but they need to do better yeah. and more rigorous. And I didn't mean that in a sexy way, Gary. I can see by the look on your face. You want more rigorous bra testing. <laughs> there's really no good way no, to say that. Not. So, No, there's not. All right. Well, thank you. I think that pretty much ends this. We ended, we ended perkily, as opposed to starting a little bit bland and flat. We were drooping a little at the beginning. We were a little drooping. So uh, thanks for joining us, and if you if you like, please leave us a, a a review on iTunes or Podcaster or like our Facebook page, like our Facebook page, follow leave, our Twitter. Yeah, the Skeptic Wire at the Skeptic Wire. Stalk us at our homes. No. Or hey, you can come over and mow mow my lawn anyway. Mm. So if you're if you're gonna stalk, at least do something useful, and uh, we'll talk with you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Skeptifier podcast theme music is by Oscar Lawn with guest mandolin by Greg Perrine. If you've enjoyed listening to The Skeptic Wire, leave a review on iTunes or leave us a voice message via the Podposted app for iPhone. Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email, skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic Wire. Thank you.